My name is Victor Furman. Some call me The Voice. I've always been fascinated with human nature, spirituality, science, and the crossroads at which they meet. Join me now and we will explore these topics and so much more with fascinating guests, authors, and experts who will guide us to Destination Unlimited. They say that in life, if we are open to it, there will always be a second chance. For me, that second chance came in the form of a synchronistic and beautiful love story that started 21 years ago. It was then that a woman, an incoming student to the New Seminary of New York, heard me speak at the graduation and ordination ceremony. She was holding her six-year-old son, Alexander, and heard me honoring my courageous partner, Judy, who was also graduating and nearing the end of her struggle with metastatic breast cancer. Lori Sue, Alexander's mom, was moved by my words that planted a seed in her heart, a seed that would fruition into family two years later. The first part of this new relationship was with Alexander. As Lori Sue would bring him to the new seminary-related functions, he would see me flash this amazing smile and want to hang out with me. My amazing six-year-old pal was born with so many challenges, yet filled with joy, an outgoing personality, and a spirit that would warm your heart. As life and love would have it, two years later, his mom and I began our special journey and were married just before his 13th birthday, bringing me a new partner and a new son, a son of my soul. On October 20th, we celebrated Alexander's 27th birthday. When he was born, the physical challenges that accompanied him into this life might not have had such a joyous outcome, but love perseverance, and indomitable spirit were and are his birthright and destiny. Alexander Kent Garrett joins me this week on Destination Unlimited to share his story. Alex is a graduate of Queens College with a degree in media studies. He works as a talk radio producer for Salem Media Group, and the shows are carried on WNYM 970 The Answer in New York and nationally syndicated. He also has his own podcast, Keeping It Real with Alexander Garrett. Please join me in welcoming to Destination Unlimited, Alexander Garrett. Good evening, Alex. Good evening, Victor, or should I just say Dad? I think Dad would be appropriate. Right, That's okay. fine. Okay. So first I want to say what an honor it is to be your stepdad and be able to call you my son and a brother to my beautiful daughter, Abby. We love and adore you, and I alluded to the fact that you were born with some physical challenges on October twentieth, 1991. If you feel comfortable discussing these with our listeners, please do so. Sure. So in October 1991, hours after my birth, it was realized I was born with one leg. And yes, there was so much chaos that morning. I can only imagine it, to be honest with you, because doctors were rushing. My mom couldn't even hold me the first days into my existence. But those nurses and the doctors and their loving hands, I believe God's work was in play there, were... Just, they are so crucial to my being here today, and I'm so thankful to the folks at St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital. Now, in addition to being born with just one leg, and let's just say, let our audience know, this means that at your hip joint, you had nothing from the hips down correct. on that side. On the left side, yes. What else was wrong? So, I was born without uh, a way to use the bathroom, doing number two. 
So they had to put a colostomy on me. And I've been dealing with that for 27 years. And it's pretty routine at this point. But imagine, you know, new parents having to be told their kid is going to be using a colostomy bag the rest of their life. I'm not sure how my parents did it, but they did it. And of course, you have been there for so many years, too. And I'm so thankful for that as well, because you get it, you know. I get it, and I get you. And in addition to that, you also had your organs, your digestive tract, born on the outside, and you have to have surgeries, multiple surgeries, to put everything inside. I had a couple organs outside that they had to put inside. That There's a big scar on my stomach where my belly button would have been, but I just say that's a battle scar, and it's a scar I needed to have to be here today. And yes, the most challenging thing, you think ostomy is a challenge, but there was more challenging things. And one of the biggest ones has been over the years, my digestive tract and esophagus in two parts, very still very narrow, so I have to watch what I eat. And by the way, those listening, my dad does a very good job making sure I eat well. <laughs> and so thank you for that. But no, so I have that issue, and they did such a great job fixing that, and now it's up to me to self-care. That's right. He was born without a real esophagus. They actually had to assemble an esophagus out of two pieces, and it is narrow, and once in a while, when you were younger and ate without thinking and swallowed food before chewing it, it would get stuck, and you'd have to be hospitalized. Yes, and that was very traumatic for me. I do remember being on the operating table just minutes away from anesthesia, freaking out my mother had to come in multiple times to calm me down and thanks thank god she did but you know those are traumatic experiences so even as i got older i still didn't i guess understand from those experiences but now that i'm older i'm working to not be on that operating table you appreciate the circumstances of your mechanics and you honor them by eating properly and chewing my food chewing your food so that you can swallow it and digest it properly that's great now i remember your mom sharing that some around her at the time of your her your birth suggested that she institutionalize you, but she would not have that. And uh, for along with your dad, John Garrett, worked diligently to bring you along. How does that make you feel? Well, my parents are my rock. You are my rock as well. And I know that wasn't going to be the choice from them because they believed in me. I think they had a lot of faith in the Lord's power, and they were not going to give up on this. And that's my mother. She doesn't give up on anything. You know, we watched her take care of my grandmother for 11 years. And I saw that as I got older, how her caretaking of my grandmother was basically what she did for me. She didn't give up on her, and she certainly didn't give up on me. So I just think my mother is the strongest woman on this planet, and I love her so much. And I do too. And I share that belief in her tenacity, her spirit, her indomitable spirit, because that's who she is. That really is who she is. And also your pop, John Garrett, uh, also encouraged you by doing a lot of travel activity when you were just an infant. When I was just an infant, yeah. I mean, he tells me stories of how we would go to places like Oakland when I was months old. We went to New Orleans when I was months old. We went to different places. I remember one time... When I was three or four years old, he uh, he brought me to Washington D.C. to see Newt Gingrich get you know sworn in as speaker. So I mean, he was always out there. He was always traveling, having me travel, and the both of them, in their own ways, said, "We're not going to let you just sit at home and do nothing. We're going to have you out. We're going to put you into this world." And I mean, it started at a very young age. My mom and dad would have me up at uh, St. John the Divine, and then after. After that, at Tom's Restaurant, which is the you know exterior for Seinfeld, but they would have me propped up on the table, like they were just showing me off, and they didn't have to do that, but they wanted to do that, and 
I don't think, to be honest with you, many parents would be that open to sharing their child in public who has so many needs. Like, because we're living in this world now where everybody has to be a certain way. Everybody has to be this way and that way. And if they're not, we're not going to show them to the world. I don't believe in that. And they didn't either. And uh, thank God I've been surrounded by people who just see me for me. Wonderful. What were your earliest memories? Do you have a very early, early memories? I just remember being a mischievous kid. Um, I remember one time we lived on East 44th Street across from the UN on 2nd Avenue, which you remember very well as well. But one time when I was about two years old, I was wandering around a fountain right across at the UN Park. And, and, and I just fell into the water at two because I didn't know it was on the other side. And I just remember looking up at my dad saying, help me. So, yeah, I remember those types of things. Um, I remember waking up early in the morning to go down to Washington. I remember being escorted during the U.N. General Assembly from my bus to my apartment because we were on tight security on lockdown, of course. Um, and that was going on for about 10 years before he moved out to Queens. So I remember all those different things. I remember sitting on the steps, and we'll get into this in a bit, of St. John, uh, of St. Patrick's, actually, after meeting the President of the United States. Uh, funny thing about that was, I met the President, but I don't actually remember him. That's kind of a blur. But the the press surrounding that, I just remember those interview requests on the steps of the cathedral. So those are some of my earliest memories. Now, when did you start school? I started in 1995 with pre-K at NYU. And cool story about that, they gave me an honorary degree for 2013 as if I were taking them all the way through college, um, through New York University. But no, Rusk Institute was such a vital part in my upbringing because of the classroom I was in, because of the environment I was in, because the teachers I had, uh, just and traveling around the city at that time, um, to and fro class was just, I remember those very vividly. And Rusk Institute is famous for phys- people with physical challenges That's and rehabilitation. Right. Yes, and we were on the fifth floor at the time. And um, just, I would always spend time at the hospital. I would spend time every 4th of July watching the fireworks from there. So I was very, very involved with NYU. My dad taught me how to hit a ball in the in the courtyard there. Like I was sitting on the ground He'd throw it, I'd hit the ball, and just those were my earliest developments. And that was a skill that actually came along with you. I remember taking you out to Adventureland in West Babylon, New York, and uh, you getting, or Farmingdale, New York, rather, and you going into a batting cage when uh, I think you you were like eight years old, and I would stand you up, and you would drop your crutch, pick up the bat, and swing away, and you were pretty amazing doing that. And there were still, um, there's some profile pictures online of me hitting the ball. I just, I was into sports, and my dad got me into that, but... And why you gave me that uh, environment to do that. So Wonderful. I'm thankful for that. My guest this week on Destination Unlimited, my very own son, Alex Garrett. And we'll be back with more of Alex and his amazing story after these words on the Ohm Times Radio Network. Ohm Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Ohm Times, co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. 
Tune in to The Practical Intuitive, Mind, Body, Spirit for the Real World with me, host Robin Fritz, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern. I'll cover personal and business intuition, animal communication, mediumship, space clearing, past life regression, shamanic insights, energy healing, soul choice, and more, all to help you Tap your own intuitive and healing skills. No ifs, ands, or buts. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14, 31, I mean 13. We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. I realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. Some knowledge belongs to us and us alone. The way our girlfriends walk, the way they talk, the way they touch their hair. We hold details that only a sister can know about her girls. But what about our other girls? The ones that we carry with us every day. Can we describe them when everything's right? Can we feel when something's wrong? Our bond with our sister girls gives life. But knowing your breasts can save it. Go to knowyourgirls.org for the facts you need on breast health. That's knowyourgirls.org. Brought to you by Susan G. Coleman and the Ad Council. Back on Destination Unlimited, my guest this evening is my son, Alexander Garrett. Alex is an amazing young man, and we're talking about his life story on the occasion of his 27th birthday. Alex, in the first segment, we're talking about your first schooling at the Rusk Institute at NYU in New York, and then you spent your formative years at a very wonderful school in Albertson, New York. Please tell us about it. Sure. So, fall of 1996, I get uh, enrolled by uh, my mom and my dad into the Henry Viscardi School in kindergarten. Now, this was one of the big tests because I didn't really like to be away from my folks. So when my mom and dad left Viscardi the first time, the first like 20 times, but not like the first couple times, I freaked out. Like this was my first time on my own. But amazingly, for what, 12 years from kindergarten to 12th grade, maybe 13 years, we gelled as a group. We had about 18 of us graduating in 2009. And would you believe it, Dad? Like 15 of those 18 were there the whole way from kindergarten to 12th grade. And so we gelled as a, as a family, really. Now, the school was called the Henry Viscardi School. Who was Henry Viscardi? So Dr. Henry Viscardi was a man who, after World War II, saw how the disabled community was being treated, that they weren't getting jobs, that they were being looked down upon on their return back from war. This included veterans who were coming exactly. back from war who had had limbs, had lost limbs and yes. severe physical injuries in and, the war. And, and they come back to America, and while we gave them the big parades, Dr. Viscardi saw that, well, why aren't they being hired? So he decided in Albertson, New York. Keep in mind, he, he was a man who lost both his limbs 
um, did not have both his legs. So they created prostheses for him. And back in the old days, it was like a very old school prosthetic leg that he had. But he had it. Then he, he went and used his experience as a disabled man to inspire others who were disabled to be something in life. So he created the center in Albertson, New York. Then came the school for kids with disabilities. And for a while there, it was called the National Center for Disability Services, then Abilities. Um, now that's rightfully called the Henry Viscardi Center because it's not just a school for kids with disabilities. It's a school, it's a center for adults with disabilities as well. So they get job training. They get driver's education. I mean, they are being taught to be something in this world, to be, you know, acclimated to this world. So I give a lot of props to them every day, and I'm so thankful I got to be part of the Henry Viscardi School. I know that in your class, you talked about graduating with 15 out of 18 had been about right, with yes. you since the beginning. What were the challenges those other kids were facing? So we actually had kids with cerebral palsy. We had kids who may have had a weird walk because of certain things. Um, we had a couple kids who had trach issues. Um, we lost a couple of our classmates as well over the years. Uh, and that was said to muscular dystrophy uh, and, and I believe mitochondrial disease. So there were a lot of challenges. There were various things. But we had one big thing going for us. We had many things. We were we got a personality. We were a very personable group. And we had brains. Like we were smart. We tried to always outsmart each other. We were we were just very, very intellectually there. And that's what's gotten us to certain places in this world as a group. You mentioned losing classmates to the various conditions yes. and diseases that they were dealing with at the time. Um, what did that feel like? Oh, it's it's devastating because not only did it affect our class, it affected classes before us. It affects classes after us. Um, when you're in the disabled community, it's it's a wake-up call to realize how grateful you should be for getting up in the morning because, unfortunately, in that world, there's more susceptibility to death than there is in, in the normal world. And that susceptibility should not be overlooked, and we need to pray for for those with those challenges every day um and also be mindful and grateful of how lucky we are to be on this earth for as long as we are i know you've attended several of the funerals for your friends who have passed what was that like it was heartbreaking and you stay in touch with the families and they're heartbroken every day they're always asking why and we don't know the answer to why we just know that we need to understand that their memories living on, that they are with us in spirit. And while as much as we want them here in person, in another way, they're not suffering. And I think as I've gotten older, to realize that while I miss my friends, to know that they aren't suffering is also a big step to, you know, to be to grieving this death, the passing of them. So the fact they're not suffering is also something to think about as well. I know that a lot of attention is paid today in, in schools, in all schools, over the situation of bullying and bullies. Now, without mentioning names, we're not going to mention names on this program, but you actually were bullied by some of your classmates. I was. Um, that was, you know, on the outside world, I think everybody thinks disabled people respect each other 
because while we're not getting the respect that we should be getting from the outside world, so why would she? Why would we disrespect each other? But the truth is that we were just like a normal group, and I I think it was because I was a little more. I didn't have that social interaction that I, I I could have, but there were reasons for that as we'll get into I guess later on. Um, and the amazing thing is, I'm now close with them, and I made peace with them because that's what you do when you're in the daily grind of school together. You can't let a few incidences define that. You have to look past that, and you have to look at the good in each other. And so, I'm friends with them, and believe it or not. They all signed my yearbook after it was all said and done senior year. So despite whatever was going on by senior year, we were all a group. And that meant so much to me as you were with me through those years as well. You know, it brings up two very interesting points. Number one is that bullying can take place in any community, in exactly. any environment, even with kids who have physical and, and disease challenges, number one. And number two, it also brings about you in particular, about what a loving, open-hearted person you are. And I think that's really important, the fact that you are so willing to forgive, not get angry about your situation. I don't think I've ever seen you angry or, or feeling a, a, a lack of self uh, because of all the challenges you've faced. I've, right. I, your spirit is so amazing, and I think that's one of the things that really made me fall in love with you as my son. Thank you. Well, you know, I just... I learned resiliency from my family, and I learned to take that everywhere with me. So if there's a bad day at work, if there was a bad day at school, I just picked up the mentality of, well, I'm just going to do better tomorrow, and that life is going to be better tomorrow. And being that I actually work at a Christian radio station as well, I've learned that God's plan is always there. It's just some, unfortunately, in this world decide not to follow it, Sometimes they decide to kill. You know, if things go wrong, they will self-harm themselves. They might even try and kill themselves. But when you understand God has a plan for you, that's what should get you up every day, no matter what circumstance you're in. So Now, let's talk a little bit, actually, about your faith base, because that's sure. very important in your life now, and yes. it's always been. Your spirituality has always been important. Yes. Uh, basically, your mom was Jewish, and your yes. grandma was Jewish, and you were raised by your mom in an interfaith environment, an inter yes. interfaith atmosphere. You were both bar mitzvah, yes. and you were also uh, baptized. I was. What I, was that I, experience I, like? And confirmed. Well, that was a very interesting time, because... You know, my dad wanted it one way and mom wanted it this way. And I wanted it both because I thought having both in both of them instilled in me was going to be very important. And as I've learned about Christ and how he was Jewish, like I just have grown closer to both faiths through him. So I'm very thankful for that. And I think the Christian, I think my pastor, I think the rabbi, Rabbi Gelberman, uh, all played a role in it. And I think my radio station that I'm at taught me more and got me closer to God through what they talk about. They're a preach and teach station. So. You know, it's fascinating. You talk about Rabbi Gelberman. For those who don't know, Rabbi Gelberman was the founder of the New Seminary of New York, which was one of the first interfaith seminaries in the United States and the world. He founded it in 1982. 
and he founded it as an organization that included uh, representatives and teachers of virtually every faith on earth. And I remember him once saying, they asked him why, as a rabbi, he had been brought up Orthodox, he lost his family in the Holocaust, came here, he served in the army, uh, and then he became a rabbi again. And, and, And they asked him why he decided to become a rabbi and open up an interfaith seminary. And he once famously said, you know, in this lifetime, I'm a rabbi. In a previous lifetime, I think I was the Pope. So I bring it all to, to everyone. Well, and he brought that faith to uh, to the pulpit, if you will. He brought the faith to the synagogue. And the beauty of, of that congregation was that we weren't in a normal synagogue. We were actually in a church almost everywhere we and went. And it was an interfaith synagogue. And it wasn't just for Jews. It was exactly. for everyone. Now, do you remember we went, on, we went on a bus tour, and this is one of the most telling things. We went to a mosque. I think it was the 96th Street Mosque. And there was Rabbi Gellerman praying with with the Muslims. And that was a very powerful thing to see. That's right. Absolutely. He had what they called an interfaith pilgrimage where That's we right. all got together on a bus and we visited churches and we visited other synagogues and we went to the Islamic Center of New York on 96th Street. Yeah. And we were all together in this wonderful common celebration. It was very, very special. It was. And and that's that's why I was privileged to be bar mitzvahed by Rabbi Gelberman. I mean, I I got the Hebrew and the teaching from one of the best rabbinical teachers in the world, you know, and he did go around the world many a time. Absolutely. So. And of course, your mother was into Hinduism, so you were yes. exposed to Hinduism and all the different aspects of the different faiths and absolutely. Buddhism and, and my Buddhist background and everything else. And, so. and Zen and, and all that absolutely. good stuff. And, absolutely. And, and spiritual stuff, I should say. Absolutely. And so I thank you, Mom and my dad, for all instilling that spiritual in this world today with people of different faiths struggling with each other and, and the, the turmoil and, and, and the, the hatred and bigotry, what message would you have for everyone out there? I would say um, just live in love. You know, I just think there's, I've seen a lot of it where people are saying one thing and doing a totally different thing. And that's not what God in general wants us to do. He wants us to do as we say, basically. And if we do as we say, I think we'll be much more respectful of each other um, on all fronts. And the foundation of every religion, I don't care which one it is, it's yeah. do unto others as you I would do have them do unto you. The golden rule, which exactly. is applicable to everyone. Absolutely. My guest this week on, Al- on <laughs> Alexander Radio, my guest this week on Destination Unlimited is my son, Alex Garrett. Alex, please tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and about your radio uh, podcast. So I'm on uh, Keeping It Real with Alexander Garrett, and you can find me on Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh Spreaker.com is my main flagship station. So. And we'll be back with more of Alex Garrett after these words on the Ohm Times Radio Network. This is OTRFM, part of the IOM Radio Network. Humanity Healing International is a small nonprofit with a big dream. Since 2007, HHI has been working tirelessly to bring help to communities with little or no hope. Our projects are not broad mandates, nor are they overnight solutions, but they bring the reassurance that no one is alone and that someone cares. To learn more, please visit HumanityHealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Change and growth are part of natural life and also part of your spiritual life. 
Everyone needs support and guidance, especially during life passages. Upgrade yourself with the Ohm Times Experts program. With Ohm Times Experts, you have access to the best intuitive coaches, spiritual teachers, counselors, astrologists, and oracles. Our team was carefully selected so you can trust. Find out more at experts.ohmtimes.com. Have you bought into the idea that you have to work hard for your money, that business is hard? I will share some dynamic access consciousness tools to get you out of your own way so you can create a business that actually succeeds. Join me, Simone Millicis, on The Joy of Business at 4 p.m. Mondays Eastern. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Bill Maher. I can find humor in almost anything, but one thing I never laugh about is cruelty to animals. If you don't get the joke either, write People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, 501 Front Street, Norfolk, Virginia, 23510. Back on Destination Unlimited, my guest this evening is my son, Alex Garrett. We're talking about his amazing life story on the occasion of his 27th birthday. Alex, the three most important people in your early life were your mom, Lori Sue, your pop, John Garrett, and your grandmother, Shirley, who everyone knew as Sonny and most of her grandchildren knew as Dee Dee. What do you remember about early life with all of them? Uh, well... One other person to include would be you. So you. I'm going to just say that right now. Thank you. But all four of you really added different elements to my life. And without those elements, I wouldn't be who I am today. I truly, truly believe that your wisdom, uh, my grandmother's love of the microphone, love of family, love of making sure she, you knew how she felt. Like, she was not afraid to voice her opinion. And that was a beneficial thing. Like, it might have cut deep at times, but you know what? I loved her for it because while the world may have seen one side, I love that the four of you saw this person who could be better than what the world was already seeing. And, and to me, that is what I really mentioned at my grandmother's funeral house. She would always be tough on me and I needed that toughness she would say chew your food she would make sure I was on top of my grades and my health and you know that was true love right there from my grandmother what are your some of your fond memories of Dee? so she would always come with me to the variety telethons she would always make breakfast the best Dee eggs in the world is what I call them um she always had family over you know and our family has been glued together so well and i love about that and i think she was the cornerstone to that she brought us all to her house those are some fond memories having letting us stay over my dad and i uh, on christmas eve new year's eve uh, i just spending new year's with my grandmother as well like all of those memories are seared into my brain and i'm so happy about that now, of course, you mentioned her funeral. Dee Dee passed in June of this year at the amazing age of 100 years and 88 days. 
and I had the honor of co-officiating her funeral with you. The two of us were clergy for her funeral. What was that experience like for you? I will just start that experience in March. So she turns 100 on March 24th, 2018, gets a proclamation from the, the local politicians, and also, and she was beloved by them as well, and also just had her whole family there. I mean, this was... This was so magical. This is what her life was, magical and, and just full of light and, and surrounded by love all the time. And no, and that was no exception on her birthday. A few months later, she still is going a little bit. A, day, a couple days before she passes, all of us were in her house on Father's Day. And she was still as sharp as ever, you know. Her body was not there physically, but her mind was still sharp. And I thought maybe she'll stick it out a few more days. And then Wednesday, June 20th, she passes. You were, And we were all there at her bedside saying our goodbyes and seeing my cousins break down. Because I only knew her for 26 years and they had much more of an experience. I didn't realize how deep she had been in everybody's world. Like she was the, the hub for everybody and to learn more about that that night was very special and then getting to talk about her at the funeral was just it brought a smile to my face i missed her but i was so glad i was able to talk about her because she was worth um praising and worth remembering and she left everybody with that um there's just that tenet. she left everybody with that sense of you know carrying on her memory as well so. and also carrying on her legacy because Absolutely. her legacy was that of caretaker for those who don't know uh, alex's grandma my mother-in-law shirley brockway was the director of a senior center when she was until <laughs> she was 91 One years, years old, old. she yes. retired yeah. as director of a senior center taking care of people who are 20 years younger than her that's right until 91 she stopped driving at 93 that's it which was pretty amazing the fact that she continued to drive <laughs> and to 93 she drove me to and she used to use dri- used, yep. used to drive you around and uh, and everyone around her, and yeah. just uh, was was really just a lively wonderful woman uh and then uh, had a fall when she was 95 and of course right. your mom and i and the rest of the family have taken care of her after that period of time but this woman was a woman of tenacity, of great spirit. She lived her way. She died her way. Yes. And she was an example for all of us, and wasn't she? And she wouldn't be afraid to speak her mind. And I think that's what we all need to learn from that, is that to speak up when we feel the need to. A lot of people um, filter a lot of thoughts. But the reason why I do my podcast is because we don't have to do that anymore. There doesn't have to be this filtering. like Because uh, when we filter things, it just it becomes fake. And I think this world is picking up on how superficial it's become and is working toward being more genuine. Like she was. She was a very genuine person and uh, love, love genuinely, critiqued with love, but she was genuine about that. And she took care of everyone, no matter what. She was so, as you say, she was a caretaker at heart. And I think that's certainly... um, rubbed off on my mother. I think my mom is a great caretaker Absolutely. Um, for you, for me, um, and for herself. She's she's doing well. So. Absolutely. Uh, just a quick share. The first time I met your grandmother, Dee Dee Shirley Brockway, uh, was on your seventh birthday. That's and I right. had picked up you and your mom in the city. You were still living by the United Nations at the time. Yes. And I drove you to Queens, to Flushing, to uh, Shirley's house, to Dee Dee's house. And she opened the door and she looked at Lori Sue and she said, it's a disaster. 
And she said, what's a disaster? And she said, I have 40 or 50 people coming for Alex's birthday and my stove doesn't work and I have the food I have to cook. And I looked at her and I said, hi, I'm Victor. I'm Lori Sue's friend. Would you mind if I looked at your stove? She says, do you know anything about stoves? I said, well, I fix things. And I walked in, I spent a few minutes, I fixed her stove. And as soon as it lit up and she looked at me, she smiled and I felt the word son-in-law emblazoned on my forehead. Yep, <laughs> she yep. said that. And that was the beginning of every time we'd go there, what would she say? Honey, there's something yes, for you to fix, but don't do it right now because you knew if she said, don't do it now, exactly. I'd do it immediately, yep. right? That was yep. funny. And what a wonderful, loving woman. And I was so uh, privileged to be a part of her life and for the she last loved you years so of her much. life. You yes. know that. Thank you. And, Thank and you. she did. Now, knowing your story intimately since you were seven, I sort of see your life in the same vein as kind of like a Forrest Gump type character in the sense that you attracted the love and adulation of many celebrities and political officials. Who were some of these famous people and what were those experiences like? And by the way, you and one of my high school teachers have the same mind because he always called me Alex Gump. So there you go. <laughs> um, no, I, I one of the things you talk about my dad traveling with me, he always knew where to take me. He took me to the biggest events, basically, in the city. And that included parades up Fifth Avenue, where I got to meet Rudy Giuliani, or I got to march with Mayor Bloomberg, where I even got an interview with Mayor de Blasio a few years ago. So his efforts to bring me to wherever, you know, has rubbed off of me, but it started a chain of events where I got to meet the mayors. I got to meet the the Cardinal St. Patrick's Cathedral. Yes, you became you became friends with Car Cardinal O'Connor. <laughs> yes, Cardinal. And you were at Cardinal O'Connor's funeral at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Who'd you meet there? And I met President Bill Clinton and, and Hillary Clinton they were as both well. There, that's right. And I also, I believe, I went to shake George H. W. Bush's hand. Like this funeral was once in a lifetime. Like you wouldn't have all these dignitaries in the same room, but Cardinal O'Connor had that. Um, Draw. Charisma, that yeah. draw to bring everybody together. He was very beloved. And in 1998, before his passing, he asked me to pray for him. He gave me his rosary and said, pray for me because he started to get sick. And so I did. And I this was, what, seven years old at the time. I know. And then eight years old happens and I meet the president. And the funniest thing that I mentioned earlier is I don't remember that specific moment. I remember it in photos, but I remember more all the press around that moment like that was such a a, a different kind of thing for an eight-year-old to deal to to have but i was fortunate to have it because i guess that started my media journey right so. I, I sort of turned you on to media i just remember the photo in the new york times the next day of president clinton bending down and uh, yeah. what was he like uh, shaking your hand or oh, give me a big give hug, you a hug. And he that's said, how right. are you buddy that's right that's right so. and then the, the, your mom says that the, the press all arrived at the house yes. wanting to we meet you and CBS, interview you that's we had right. my nine upn news i mean those are just magical those are that was such a day and one of the most moving celebrity relationships that you enjoyed was with the boss the late new york yankees general principal owner George Steinbrenner. His public persona was that of a tough, hard sports magnet, but you and many others had a different experience with George. What? Tell us about it. All right, so I was outside the Yankee Stadium, old-timers day, same year as the Cardinals funeral, 2000, and I wanted to get Phil Rizzuto to sign a, ba to sign a baseball. And I said to him, because I saw him walk out of the, you know, out of the stadium at about the fourth inning. I didn't know who he was, but I walked right up to him and I said... Oh, you're talking about George Steinbrenner. George Steinbrenner, okay. yeah. I walked right up to George Steinbrenner and I said, do you know where Phil Rosito is? He said, sure I do. He's up in my suite. 
He has one of his handlers take me up to the suite to meet Phil Rizzuto. The story could have ended there, but it didn't. Dad takes me to the Steuben Day Parade in uh, September 2000. A big picture in the paper with Rudy Giuliani, George Steinbrenner patting my head because I was rollerblading along with them. And you were uh, what? I was rollerblading. You were along, rollerblading yes, along with them. Along with for them. those who don't don't know Alex and haven't seen pictures of him, Alex goes on one rollerblade in his crutches and can run faster than most people who are, have two legs. And I tell you something right now, but I don't want to set my dad on my on his on his uh, show, so I won't say it. But I do tend to lift my crutches up in the city and just start flying down the city streets because I'm fearless like that, I guess. But anyway, so George Steinbrenner, uh, after the media scrum leaves and my dad and I are sort of behind, he. He yells behind the the whole media thing, yells back to me and says, call me for playoff tickets. I mean it. We call him up. Sure enough, there are playoff tickets waiting for my dad and I. And uh, and then the friendship just kept developing from there. Ended up on the float when the Yankees won the World Series in 2000. Uh, and, and then at Gracie Mansion afterwards. Um, ended up in the suite from 2001 to about 2009. Then when he passed, things obviously changed a bit, but the family still welcomes my dad and I there years later. Like, that's how special that connection was. And a special thing happened at the American League Championship Series one year. What happened? So this is actually, so the ALCS, um, in the ALDS, Regis Philbin happened to meet me, and he was with a future president, Donald Trump. But Trump took a picture of, of Regis and I, that gets on his show the next day. Then in 2003 ALCS, when Aaron Boone hits the homer to win it for the Yankees against Boston in Game 7, puts him in the World Series, Regis put me on his show the next morning uh, to talk about that game and to preview the World Series. So. so here you go, friends with mayors, with the baseball owners, with the future president of the United States. You have a Forrest Gump existence. And we'll be back with more with my special son, Alex Garrett, after these words on the Own Times Radio Network. Ascending Hearts is no ordinary dating site, but a spiritual dating site with a purpose, to link you with your soulmate. We engineer the serendipity so you can trust that you will attune with someone that has the same matching vibration as you. Ascending Hearts, the conscious dating site for the spiritually aware. Try Ascending Hearts for free, ascendinghearts.com. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese. And guess what? Egg rolls showed up like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You accidentally cut your daughter's bangs unevenly. Do you A, line things up a centimeter from her hairline? Man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. No, 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 no. Sweatbands are so hot right now. Everyone's wearing them. Like that basketball player and that other basketball player. B, get spiritual. Mom, where did all the mirrors go? A reflection could never capture our true selves. Huh? Beauty is within... Um. C. Look on the bright side. Less time blow drying, more time texting. Or D. 
Show empathy. Mom, you really don't have Ta-da! to... Twinsies! <laughs> I kind of love it. <laughs> As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information, contact You Gotta Believe at YouGottaBelieve.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Have you bought into the idea that you have to work hard for your money, that business is hard? I will share some dynamic access consciousness tools to get you out of your own way so you can create a business that actually succeeds. Join me, Simone Millicis, on The Joy of Business at 4 p.m. Mondays Eastern. Back on Destination Unlimited, my guest this evening is my son, Alex Garrett. Alex, before the break, we were talking about your experience with George Steinbrenner, the New York Yankees. And Mr. Steinbrenner did a very special thing for you one year on your birthday, didn't he? He did. So Saturday, October 20th, 2001, actually the night of this Freedom concert where actually Bill Clinton was in the suite with us. Um, But we end up in the third inning up at George Steinbrenner's box. To give a little context to this, when the Yankees played the athletics in the ALCS that year, I happened to mention to him, you know, my birthday is on Saturday. He said, oh, well, we'll have a cake for you. Fast forward to that day, October 20, 2001. I go up to his suite, and he says, where were you? Because I was a couple of minutes, a couple of innings late. He says, well, I have the cake for you. He had a birthday cake ready for me up in his suite, and that was just such a way to spend my 10th birthday actually that year so and it just shows that his public persona of being this rough tough baseball owner yes uh his uh, anger and so on that was just for show and basically for the team yes. in, inside he was actually a great philanthropist he was and a great humanitarian share about that please so not only with his experience with me or my experience with him um and how he took care of me and my dad as well but also in Florida, where they train in Tampa, he's donated to different schools. There's a school named after him. He's doing. He's been big in the community, and for fallen police officers' families, he pays scholarships. Or the foundation started it that pays scholarships for the kids of these fallen heroes. And so, what the news and what the headlines and what Billy Martin saw was just to fire up the team. Because inside, he was caring about every employee, every person who came through his way, and all those serving our country, whether as a police officer or even through, you know, Wounded Warrior Project and whatnot. His family's been heavily involved with those families as well. And also, he would find local youth in the community yes, who were in trouble, yes. and he'd bring them up. Talk about Ray Negron. So Ray Negron, who has a show right now called Bat Boy, which is an incredible, incredible experience um, here in New York. Ray Negron graffitied the side of Yankee Stadium. And who happens to be walking by but George Steinbrenner? And George didn't get him arrested. He got him in the dugout as a Bat Boy. And this man, Ray Negron, was, he had a troubled youth, it looked like. He had lost his cousin to gunfire in the community. Like, he had a troubled upbringing. But George Steinbrenner brought him in, saw his pain, and said, I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to be there for you. And for what now? 30, 
30-something years now. He's been a Yankee advisor. He's been under the Yankees' wing for all these years. And Ray just, his story is so, is like so many others, but it's it's so much more unique than that. So I'm very lucky to know him as well. So George Steinbrenner, in many ways, was one of these people who on the public side had this tough exterior, but really, and never bragged about it. You didn't hear about it unless you knew him personally. I mean, knew his actions personally, that he was a wonderful, loving, caring man. And in Yankeeography, he once said, you know, that his dad told him that if one person knew he was doing something uh, for the community or whatever, he was doing it for the wrong reason. So basically, he didn't want to be known for doing something good because I would just make him look braggadocious. Like, oh, I'm doing this and the other. So here are your friends when you're growing up. You have friends like George Steinbrenner. You had friends like Regis Philbin, Donald Trump, future POTUS. Donald yes. Trump is a friend. Yep. The Clinton family, all these wonderful, the mayors of New York, all yes. these wonderful people. And yet you are just a normal guy. You seem like that never jaded you or anything like that. Why, what do you think those experiences were about for you? Um, those experiences were great. Um, but I guess I'm I'm not as I mean I'm boisterous about it to an extent, but I'm not always talking about it because I just believe in living life now. And while I love looking at the past, I think there are so many things I can do now that they've all gotten me this far, but they all want me to go further. George Steinbrenner doesn't want me to stop at his story; he wants me to create my own story. And I truly believe, and just like you and mom want that too. So it's all about creating my own story now, every day, the best I can. Now, you had the honor of serving as junior spokesperson for Variety, the children's charity, between 1999 and 2010. And this included co-hosting the telethon with Broadcasting Hall of Fame radio personality, Cousin Bruce Morrow. Share your memories of the telethon. The telethon was, much like Sports Night at Variety, a great chance to sort of hone my skills in the public eye, uh, whether it be on stage or in front of a camera. I used to open up a couple of the hours of the Variety Telethon, and that was special because I would have that script and I would have a mic and I'd just be able to to do that opening for them. And it was great to help kids around the Tri-State area. That's what that was about. And you see the love that all these celebrities had um, coming through the Variety Telethon. Who was it? Mickey Dolenz of the, of the Monkees. We had... Chubby Checkers was there one year. Uh, Bob McGrath of Sesame Street. I mean, these weren't little no-names. These were big names coming to support Variety Children's Charity. I believe the Four Seasons were there at least a couple times. So Cousin Brucey brought his people in, Ernie Anastas as well. You know, Rosanna Scotto. They all came in to support this charity, and it's still going today. But I was so happy and proud to have that moment. And Radio. I got my start on the radio at those radiothons they did with John Gambling, who in 2014 I produced with. So talk about Full Circle. That's a wonderful experience and a wonderful story. In 2009, you graduated from Henry Viscardi School and enrolled in Queens College. Your years at Queens College included announcing at sporting events, as an air personality in Queens College Radio, and so many more things. How did that shape your future aspirations? So I got to do some great interviews there on on WQMC Radio. I interviewed Bruce Beck, who was NBC4 Sports Anchor Emmy Award winner. Howie Rose, uh, a fellow alumnus alumnus at Queens College, and he um, he does Met games still. 
Bob Wolf, a mentor of mine, Bernie Williams. So those experiences taught me how to do those types of interviews and to get my own guests and whatnot. But I tell you what, it was the board at the college studio that I fell in love with because as much as I fell in love with that and the mic, when I got into the studios at Salem Media Group, I fell in love with the board all over again. Like that just clicked with me. So I found my home. I found my home there. What's the connection between the energy of your self and your hands and your body and that production board? What's that energy like? I mean, it's just so fun. You get to mix levels. You get to engineer hosts. You get to mix music. You know, I remember upstairs, I used to love mixing my voice over music. And now I'm doing that in real life. And so it's kind of like a dream come true. But it's sort of an act of being creative in an electronic media and in theory, a creation that sort of goes on forever and ever as those sound waves spread out into space. Well, and that's the other thing. So at five o'clock every day, when I hear something I produced on the air in New York, that is just, there's nothing like that feeling. There really isn't because like I produced that. I My ideas went into that hour and, and to know that I'm contributing in certain ways is very powerful to me. And what are you doing these days at 970 The Answer? So I produce for someone named Kevin McCullough. He breaks the news every day, 5 o'clock on AM 970 The Answer. And I do some health work uh, for an invite health show as well. So I'm doing uh, bits and pieces for everything. I'm making sure that our social media is up to date. And I'm making sure that our show runs smoothly in drive time. Because you don't want to show that sounds like a mess of drive time. So that's just my role right now. In your amazing young life, you've overcome tremendous obstacles and challenges to become a successful, talented, and most importantly, a loving young man. What advice would you offer to parents with children who have challenges and to those young people who may be listening tonight? So when we were, when this was brought up, I was just thinking, I have a message for both parents with people with disabilities and parents with able-bodied kids. Um, First, with disabled kids, get your kid out of the house. Like, put them out there. Push them. Be as perseverant as my parents were because it's a very um, straining thing. I know it's actually something worth being afraid of, like what happens if my kid gets out there and something happens. I get it, every parent. But the stigma we have on the disabled community is that, oh, they can't do anything. So as a parent raising a young kid with disabilities, it's their responsibility to smash that stigma because the kid themselves will then be like, you know what? There is something out there that we can overcome. There is something we can show the world that we are not just, you know, in a wheelchair. We're not just on crutches, but we have a mind and we have something to us that is worth exploring. Um, and, and being hired for it too. You know, disabled, there's actually disability uh, in the workplace awareness month. I don't know if you knew that, but um, they're saying the, the job rate for those disabilities is climbing, so that's good. But we want to get more in the workplace, and it starts with the parents. And for parents with kids with normal, you know, able-bodied kids, I would say get your kids exposed and maybe even get yourself exposed to the world of those who have kids with special needs. Because I'm finding in the city a lot these days, people are handing off their kids to nannies and they're not spending much time with them. And then the kids sort of act spoiled or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, take these kids out to see how the other side lives. Because once they do that, the world will be so altered 
Because not only will they be grateful for what they have, but they'll be inspired as well. And what about volunteering? Volunteering, there are so many opportunities. Henry Viscardi School is always looking for volunteers. The Games for Physically Challenged, a.k.a. Nassau Victory Challenge, always looking for people to volunteer at, something I competed in the last 20-something years. Now I volunteer at that. And just look up your local organizations, and if you find a cause you're, you're so passionate about, volunteer with them. Don't, don't just sit on the sidelines. Alex, you are an inspiration and have been to me since I first met you when you were seven years old. I love you. I'm so proud to share you as son with your dad, John Garrett, with your pop. And uh, it's just been such a privilege and continues to be a privilege to be a part of your life. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your life. Well, thank you for always being there and for providing so much as a father and being that stable force in my world. And for convincing me to do certain things in life, like go to Queens College. That really became a life changer. So I would say you're responsible for how much my life has changed. So I love you, and I thank you so much. And thank you. Alex, just tell our listeners one more time where they can find your podcast. Spreaker.com, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And the name of the show? Keeping It Real with Alexander Garrett. Alex, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you, and love you. Thank you, and thank you for joining us on Destination Unlimited. I'm Victor the Voice Furman. Have a wonderful week.